This is VLX number 70, Wisdom is Justified. We are in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19. God give you his peace, and nomine patris affiliate spiritu santi, amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patris affiliate spiritu santi, amen. And of course, John in today's gospel refers to John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So Father lapidated another exciting revelation of a line from Jesus that I had never understood until today. So I'm thrilled to share that with you, this new riddle solved in today's VLX, Video Lexu Divina. As a quick preview, the code that we're going to crack today is that mysterious line, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now, before we get into that real quick, as I mentioned in the last couple of videos, YouTube may forcibly monetize my channel here with ads against my will, in which case remember that all my videos are always backed up on BitChute, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E. So just Google BitChute Padre Peregrino if you want to find the backup for all these. So let's see today what Father Lapide has to say. He starts by quoting St. Thomas Aquinas in the Catena Area. Catena Aurea means the golden chain, and it's sort of St. Thomas Aquinas' version of everything that we do with Father Lapide, St. Thomas Aquinas' own scriptural commentary. So Father Lapide quotes St. Thomas Aquinas, and he says, Among the Jews there was a game of this description. Boys divided themselves into two parties and made, as it were, two choirs. Thus they represented and mocked human life on a sort of stage. By the way, real quick, we're talking about this line... We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn from today's Matthew 11. So this was a game. This was a song the boys used to sing on the playground or whatever the first century equivalent of a playground was. And so they continue. Those on one side, like Heraclitus, were always lamenting it. Those on the other, like Democritus, were always laughing at it. To the first group, everything that we do seemed to cause for misery. To the latter group, for foolery. And so Father Lapide then says, it, as, it is as though Christ said, You may perceive in this generation and in this sort of scribes and Pharisees something similar to what happens in the parable of the boys. Just as the morose spectators were not moved to weep by their wailing, nor to dance by their singing, because they looked on idly at these things which were staged as ridiculous, comic things for the amusement of the listeners, so too the scribes and Pharisees cannot, because they were unwilling, be induced to change their life and be converted as John and Christ preached, either by the example of the austere life of John or by the less stern life of Christ. Okay, I just have a gut instinct. Everyone got really bored out there with that. So gather yourselves again, because I'm going to do an interpretation of that interpretation that I actually think you're going to find quite thrilling for your own life. So... Um, Pause this, get a cup of coffee, wake up again. I know that was a little bit boring, but it's uh, it was my launching point to show why my interpretation isn't way off. So in very rudimentary, not exact language, but in very rudimentary language, Christ is saying, 
that this verse of the song we sang, it's basically Christ is saying, we sang you a happy song and you didn't rejoice. And that refers to Christ himself. And then we have this line, we sang you a sad song, you didn't cry. That refers to John the Baptist. Okay, let me say that one more time. We sang you a happy song and you didn't rejoice. That refers to Christ. Christ didn't move the Pharisees. And we have, again, this is my very, very rudimentary interpretation or translation of the Greek. We sang you a sad song and you didn't cry. That refers to the life of John the Baptist. So in other words, catch this. Here's what he's saying. John the Baptist came fasting and the Pharisees said, you can only do that much fasting if you have a demon. So he's bad. But then Jesus came eating and drinking, not a lot, but a little bit more than John the Baptist. And because Christ spent time with tax collectors and sinners, he's bad too. So the two extremes here are bad. In other words, there's no pleasing the Pharisees. They choose to stay stoic when God brings them to the truth via a hermit like John the Baptist or by someone slightly more social like Christ, the Son of God. But see, here's the thing. Neither of them are good enough, so to speak, to convert the Pharisees because, well, John the Baptist is too isolated from society for the Pharisees to believe him. Oh, but Christ is too integrated into society into society for them to believe him. Hence, uh, only a demon-filled person could fast as hardcore as John the Baptist, and only a false prophet, say the Pharisees, would spend time eating and drinking with tax collectors, and that's why they call Christ a glutton and a drunkard. I mean, this is real life. Can you imagine... Being a Pharisee who didn't convert before your death, even after knowing of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and going to the particular judgment where Christ judged you, and knowing that you called the Son of God a, a drunkard? I mean, this is this is horrible stuff. Um, but the, the hatred of the truth is still alive today. Now, none of us are much like Jesus, you or those watching this series, because he lives in an approach, unapproachable light. But even a little drop of light is countered really hardcore in a manner very hardcore by people who choose to live in darkness. So here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that people in your life who don't like the truth always have a reason not to believe it? People who hate the truth always judge those who seek the truth. For example, if you have too many kids, oh, they say you can't control yourself in any way your kids are grungy and unkempt. But if you have too few kids, they say you're selfish. Or think about my life as a priest. If people see me talking to my nieces, they could say I'm a predator. Or if I'm out at a coffee shop getting coffee with my buddy, oh, they might say I live an alternative lifestyle. Or if I'm talking to a woman after mass, oh, well, he must be breaking his vows with her. The, the point is that if you speak a truth people don't like, they first call you crazy, and then later when they can't counter it, they call you mean or white supremacist or whatever. But here's the thing. They don't really believe it. I don't think they believe it. Their brains are short-circuiting under God, letting so much truth come out in 2020 and 2021 that there's a lot of people choosing diabolical disorientation. I don't mean that to judge them, but I'm just trying to help you understand what's going on with your friends and your family. You see, when you choose diabolical disorientation in your soul, what happens in your brain is that it short-circuits and promotes things that should land you in a padded room. And, and this is why people say crazy things like, Oh, our country is full of white supremacists. But back to what Christ is saying about the Pharisees today. John the Baptist wasn't good enough for the Pharisees because they say, oh, he was a weirdo who didn't talk to people enough. And Jesus isn't good enough because he hung out with too many people to be a real prophet. You see where this is going? Listen again to Jesus' words in Matthew 11. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So in short, there's no pleasing those who hate the truth, and those people always move the goalposts, uh, probably because the truth is so obvious. And so this is exactly what leads us to the next line. Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds, or in some translations, wisdom is justified by her children. What Christ means by this is, the proof is in the pudding of my life, and the proof is in the pudding of John the Baptist's life. You see, the Pharisees find excuses to to reject John the Baptist and Christ, but the proof is in the pudding of their lives, namely, that the teaching and the miracles and the conversions that these two cousins are doing is all you need to know because of their holiness. You see, they don't need to defend themselves. Why? Because wisdom is justified in her deeds, not her words in defending herself. Wisdom is justified by her deeds, her children, her actions. You know, a quick story from uh, the lives of the saints. St. John Vianney, who only lived about 150 years ago, um, arguably the greatest diocesan saint priest ever, Um, he was uh, in this town and there was an unmarried woman who was pregnant and a rumor started it was due to St. John Vianney. Well, he decided not to defend himself but to let the astonishing holiness of his life with all of his miracles and his fasting and all of his confessions shine through the darkness of any rumors that bubbled up in that town. And you know what happened? It worked. They, They stopped believing the rumors. His very life exonerated himself. Now, I tend to believe if St. John Vianney had given all these verbal reasons why he was innocent, well, he would have sounded guilty. And maybe St. John, the, maybe St. John Vianney, funny, I almost said St. John the Baptist, that's his middle name, or that's who he's named after, John the Baptist. St. John Vianney knew that narcissism is not about vanity but control, and narcissists find any attention to be good attention. In other words, if you give your enemies attention, you feed their egos. I've learned a lot the hard way that if I try to spend time making rebuttals of false accusations in my life, it never works. But here's the thing. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Or as the Greek codices read, wisdom is justified by her works. It's almost as if St. John Vianney would never ever be this arrogant, but it's almost like he's like, oh, you, you guys want to talk about holiness? Watch how it's done. He, didn't, he would never say anything that arrogant, but that's the lives that he shows us how to live. Show it in your actions and not your words. St. Jerome comments on today, says, Wisdom seeks not the testimony of the mouth, but of deeds. Again, St. Jerome, Wisdom seeks not the testimony of the mouth, but of the deeds. Okay, let's dovetail this a little bit into the imaginative way of prayer. Usually in the Ignatian way of prayer, I don't have you switch scenes, but today we're going to switch scenes. I want us to go to John chapter 21. We are in the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, this is breakfast on the Sea of Galilee with the apostles, Jesus, and this is right after Christ's resurrection. Now, what I've personally been getting in prayer, my mental prayer, um, is worry about your own sins, not others. In John 21, Peter and Jesus, they're walking along the beach after breakfast, which is after the resurrection. And as Peter and Jesus are walking, Peter looks back and he sees the apostle John following him, following them. And he says in modern parlance, Lord, what about that guy? That's my little translation of the Greek, hutos de ti. But that's not just me trying to be relevant. I really think that's pretty close. Lord, what about that guy? <laughs> and, and that's not so much that Jesus' response, as you're going to see, isn't so much mind your own business on matters of sin so much as a mind your own business on matters of holiness. So let's listen to the gospel. Again, it's Jesus and Peter walking on the beach, and John is behind them following. I don't know if it's you know five meters or two meters or ten meters, but John's behind him. And this is what St. John tells us. 
Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I love that. What is that to you? You follow me. That's been the number one verse our Lord keeps bringing me back to um, as I probably blabber too much on social media about other sins. Jesus is telling me, worry about your own. What is it to you? You follow me. Even when we're tempted to say, who toasted tea? What about that guy? Our Lord says, what is that to you? You follow me. So in the imaginative way of prayer, I'd encourage you to bring that to prayer on how to worry about yourself and not others. And you know, even kids doing this series, maybe you're so worried about your brothers and your sister's behavior that you forget to follow Christ yourself and modify your own behavior. This is Jesus saying to you today, I love you, but don't worry about your brother. You have enough to work on. Now, adults, that doesn't mean we shirk all fraternal correction in our life. I'm always haunted by Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 8. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked, pa- that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. That's Ezekiel 33.8. But you see, today we're specifically focusing on not focusing on others, neither their sins, nor their opinions, nor their own walk with Christ, hence John 21. So adults, walk that beach with Jesus and perhaps talk to him not so much about refraining from caring about others' opinion entirely, since that could be either great holiness or great pride, but more, here's the goal, more about refraining about caring about others' business, especially when you have enough issues to conquer to get yourself to heaven by God's grace. And again, I know this is what I've been failing at, so I hear this in prayer. Okay, so yeah, all of us, as, as it seems that there's a lot falling apart in this world right now, you can easily think of all the family members and your former friends who accuse you in so many words of taking the gospel too literally. Well, if they only knew your sins is what you probably want to say to them. But more importantly, are you paying attention to their words and opinions or are you putting your eyes on Christ alone? I guess that's everything I'm trying to get to today is as everything falls down around us in church and state or so it seems if you're on social media, probably life is better than what you see on social media. But if you look around, it seems like a lot's going bad and Christ is saying, just keep your eyes on me. Put your eyes only on me, Jesus Christ, is what it seems to be that our Lord is saying. And we've all taken our eyes off Christ to try to explain to people why we live differently from your average person in the 21st century. But today, and we'll close with this, it's almost, this is my words, not our Lord's, but it's almost as if our Lord were saying, they're not going to listen to your words today, only your lifestyle tomorrow. So keep your eyes on me, and your lifestyle will be the proof in the pudding that will eventually convince them but not today. Today, they will only speak bad of you, just as they spoke bad of John the Baptist and me. So keep your eyes exclusively on me. Please say an hour, Father, for me, that I may practice what I preach. At benedictio Dei omnipotentis, pacis et spiritus sancti, descende super vos et maniat semper. Amen.